the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Meet Your God. That's the name of our series. Today, we see the three-in-one God, the triune God. That's next on Truth For Today with Phil Howard. We have been focusing on God this past week in our series, Meet Your God, and we focused in on a variety of the names for God. Today, we want to take a look at the triune God, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, there is a lot to take in, so let's dive right in, shall we? From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We're speaking on the Trinity this morning. The Trinity is a theological term that describes a doctrinal truth. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But the teaching it represents that God is three, but yet one. He is one in essence. He's one in substance. We, that's the spirit that is God. And that spirit is set apart from all other spirit beings by being eternal being omnipotent, being immutable, unchangeable in character and nature, and on and on. This God is spirit, but this spirit is shared equally, this substance, by three distinct persons. The Father is a person, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we uh, give you, first of all, this little chart here you ought to look at. Uh, to tell you, I had a woman come up to me today. She said, do you know what? I've been confused. She's been a modalistic Sibelian up to now. And so you might be a modalistic Sibelian. Did you know that? Let's find out. Uh, Trinitarian triangle here, something that's been from about the second century, that triangle's been used, that the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, The Son is not the Father. They're distinct persons, but they are all God. They all share the essence of God, one Spirit. God is Spirit, and they who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. Now, false views, Sabellianism, modalistic, started in the second century. And sometimes you'll see it in theology works called monarchianism. And it is the uh, error that God just plays different roles. There's only one person that plays the role of the Father in the Old Testament, plays the role of the Son in the New, and then he plays the role of the Holy Spirit. So they really have one person, and the term modalistic means different modes. He wears different masks. Okay, and that's not taught. Uh, then the Swedenborgianism, uh, 17th century era, 
that you really don't even have persons of the Godhead. You have principles. You have the principle of love called the Father. Uh, the Son is goodness, let's say. The Holy Spirit is another principle. But they say they are all equal Jesus Christ, whatever that is. So they kind of make the Godhead as these different things you want a God to be, but not distinct persons. Tritheism. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses accuse us of. It's what probably the Jewish people accuse us of. That we believe in three gods. And so we're really polytheist. But we're not. We believe in one God in three persons. That seems a little confusing, but we illustrate it that when you talk about compound unities, morning and evening made the first day. Two parts, one day. My favorite is, the man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? Explain that mystery to me. Is that true? Is there just one of you living in that home? There is a way you are one, though you haven't agreed on anything in five years. <laughs> From God's point of view, it's like your body, that you are members one of another. And in that same way, God could say, when both of you walk through the door, a unit, one, a compound unit came through, and at the same time, two persons. So this is the way we describe it. It's a compound unity. Well... Uh, Tritheism says they're not all tied together in the same substance, spirit. Unitarianism says there's really one God. He's creator. Uh, he, the Son was made a creature. He's not deity. And the Holy Spirit is just a force, just out there. He's not a person. So you might just memorize that if you need some things to work on. Uh, I give you a great excerpt. I've used different notes in the past, but I found this uh, chart in uh, Christian theology and doctrine that edited by Wayne House, and it's a concise overview that I think could serve you well. Uh, tells you where the Trinity came from, that term, and what are we saying in this doctrine? God is one. Each of the persons within the Godhead is deity. The oneness of God and the threeness of God are not contradictory. And to give you an example, the Old Testament says God is one. The Lord our God is one. New Testament says the same thing. The only God be honor and glory. But there are three distinct persons treated as deity. The Father speaks to the Son. The Son and we'll find out what that term really means. And you just keep on here. Uh, they all share the same essence, attributes. They are all involved in creation, creation of man, the baptism of Christ, his death, the incarnation, the giving of Scripture. This is just a sampling. You can look up these verses and see that what is ascribed to each one of these persons only deity could do. So that's a little overview. Now, I want to take you on a journey, okay? So if you've got note paper, you can write on the back of this. Engage mind often means 
an engaged hand. So I have a lot of scriptures I may not touch, and I may touch. We'll just see. Let's start in. We'll get to the verses. What are we saying when we say the Trinity? We're saying the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And there is one God. Sound confusing? It is. Because there's no other truth in all of creation like it. It's another reason why you've got to believe the Bible as a divine book. Nobody in their right mind would invent the doctrine of the Trinity. It's a revealed truth that in the Old Testament, God is seen as one because what was going on? There were many gods, false gods. So the overwhelming emphasis is our God is one, not many. But as the Bible keeps unveiling and giving us more and more information, we find out this God is a plurality. You can hear it in Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. Us. Let us make it. Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember your creators, plural, in the days of your youth. Isaiah. Remember your makers. Isaiah 55, I believe. So you have hints of it. You have the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. One that is treated as God sent from God. This is the messenger of God, Jesus Christ. So our God is a unity of one in essence. And we want to take a little journey through the New Testament to show you how all three of these persons are often involved or how two persons are involved as complementing one another, doing the same thing. Let's start with Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Christ goes to be baptized of John the Baptist, chapter 3. And Christ says we need to fulfill all righteousness. And so he's baptized. In John, Matthew 3, 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. That kind of tells you the kind of baptism they did. You don't have to go up out of sprinkling just to push for the mode. Um, we put people under, and, and we hold some longer than others. But the mode seems to, that's not a sprinkling operation here. I'm just throwing that in. I'm not mad at Presbyterians. I'm just saying it. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we got the sun in the water coming up, the spirit descending like a dove, and the father speaking out of heaven. Three distinct persons, three distinct operations. Now, something I think you need to get clear. When Jesus is called son, when he's called son of man, it emphasizes his humanity. But the term son, used by the Orientals, used of the son of God here, usually meant you share my nature. I would say of my son, you share my nature. I passed it on through procreation. With God the son, since he's eternal, God didn't propagate him, but he shares the nature of the father, both being God. Let me show you that. In John 5, Jesus 
heals on the Sabbath, and the crowd's a little upset. The folks that got healed never got upset. There's always the folks that couldn't do the miracles. And so, he heals a man on the Sabbath. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very two, and I too am working. Now, what did they understand him to be saying? My Father has been working And now I'm working. Anything he can do, I can do. Watch the response. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, notice what he says. You got it. See, you're a son of God by a new birth and adoption, but you're not a son of God like Jesus was. We'll look at that tonight. Watch what he does. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. You try doing and duplicating what the father does. You can get things in prayer, but you haven't created anything like a Milky Way lately. You can't duplicate the Trinity. Watch. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whoa! He not only hears a saying, you're claiming equality, he's turning around and saying, you're right. Anything the Father can do, I can do. (laughs) For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give. You don't think the Son can resurrect? Ask Lazarus. The Father doesn't have a monopoly on it. The Son can duplicate. Get up, Lazarus. But he's been dead three days. It doesn't matter. This is God talking. Get up. The Son can do anything the Father can do. And matter of fact, he goes on, verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. I believe in God the Father. I don't believe in God the Son. You can't have one without the other. If you don't take the Son, you don't get the Father. They're inseparably linked. Ah, let's go back to Matthew 12. I'm just trying to teach. The Jews said, you can only do that by the power of God. And this was a difficult case. But when Jesus cast out the demon out of the deaf and dumb man, they said, you do this by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, when your sons do it, you say, it's God. When I do it, you say, it's the devil. And then he says to them, verse 28, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he goes on to say, in verse 32, Anyone who speaks your word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. What is he saying? God the Son is on the earth, demonstrating messianic power, 
that the prophet said he would do. He would heal the blind, raise the dead, preach liberty to the captives. He's doing it all. They bring a demon-possessed man. He cast it out by the power of the Spirit. The Son depended on the Spirit. They ascribe his power to Satan. And he says, when you ascribe what I'm doing to something other than the Holy Spirit, you're committing an eternal kind of sin, Mark 3. And you will not be forgiven this in this generation. And that generation sealed its doom by rejecting messianic miracles and attributing them to the devil. The blasphemy against the Spirit. I forgot to tell you that Matthew 4, the Spirit took Christ into the wilderness to be tempted. Here Christ in his humanity humbles himself to do the will of God and to allow the other members of the Spirit to control his life and direct him, even though he's equal with them. But he emptied himself of that prerogative and took the role of a servant to be led by the Spirit to do fully the will of God. You see, there's a passage that Christ says, my Father is greater than all. How could that be if they're equal? It's a matter, it's a matter of authority. While in his humanity, he submitted to the Father, and he said, you determine the will of God for me. Hebrews 10, you prepared a body for me. I've come in the volume of the book to do your will. How can that be? Because I'm taking the role of a servant. He emptied himself of all of the external expression of equality, and he clothed himself as a servant, and he said, I've come to do your will. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it, though I'm equal with you in power, equal in substance, equal in deity. He becomes the model of all submission in the future. When God tells a woman to submit to a husband, it's not because she's inferior. It takes greatness to submit, especially when you're equal. And God the Son modeled it, and he told the church, 1 Corinthians 11, he's your model. Submit to yourselves to Christ as Christ does to the Father. And he deals in Ephesians 5, wives submit as unto the Lord. All submission gets its great model for us in Christ. Though being God, he took the form of a servant. What a place. What a humility. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven, he says something marvelous. In verse 27, I have to move quick because I can't cover everything. And so I'm just racing. Oh, my. I'm just, I'll go as quick as I can. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Look at that. Father and Son. Did you know God is the unknowable God unless he chooses to reveal himself? God is incomprehensible, and he doesn't owe you any knowledge because his masterpiece is the creation. And he's saying, there's my artwork. You ought to inquire about who the artist is. Between that and conscience, I've got enough on you to let you be lost forever. I hold you accountable. And if you get any more than that, 
it'll be grace. A rebellious race doesn't deserve more knowledge of a God they've already rejected. God revealing himself. And he says, no man will get to know the Son except through the Father. And no one will get to know the Father except through the Son. Look at John 6, 37. Talking about we worship three who are God, but they are one. 337. We'll start with 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I used to wonder about that. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the thirsty. And here he says, if you believe in me, you'll never be hungry again. Have you ever been hungry since you accepted Christ? I have, spiritually or otherwise. Have I been thirsty since I met him? I have. But he says, you never will thirst again. What is he saying? You will never lack the source for quenching your thirst now that you've come to me. You will never lack the bread for which your soul yearns now that you've come to me. You've come to a warehouse of bread, a warehouse of a river. If you want, if you're thirsty, come. You never need to thirst again. You found the source. It's undiminishable. That's what he means. Matter of fact, he wants you to stay thirsty enough to keep coming. Then he goes on. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Guess who gave you to the Son? God the Father. And he had to draw you. And he drew you through the work of the Holy Spirit. On and on, on and on. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If someone asks you the name of our God, say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's his name. That's who our God is. One name, three persons. We serve one God revealed in three persons. Look at John 1. John 1. Jehovah's Witnesses love to beat us up over John 1, but they are wrong. They believe a teaching that Arius began in the third century called Arianism. And Arianism says that Christ was spun off. He was created. He had a beginning. And the Father procreated him or spirated him. And he had a beginning. He may be God, but he's a little God. False. Listen to what John says. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was facing God. So you got one that was the Word facing God back at a beginning. Must be the beginning of time, because eternity wouldn't be a beginning. It's always been. And the Word was being God. So you got two facing each other that are both God. One he just calls God, the other he calls the Word, but the Word is called God, and they're facing each other, and they've both been being as long as the other's been being. Verse 2. Through him, this one, it's a word, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was self-existent life, and that life was the light of men. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word is called the flesh, in the flesh, and the word is called God in verse 1. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to His knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call. 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855 833-9864, or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.